Listener Production. Before we start, a warning. What you're about to hear involves sexual abuse against children. Listener discretion is advised. Some details have been changed to protect the identities of victim survivors. Police have also obscured some methodologies used to catch child abuse perpetrators so as to not compromise ongoing investigations. The child is under two, asleep in the car. It's comfortable and warm. It's a far cry from the group home the toddler's been taken from. The car pulls over. The driver moves to the back seat. It's Ski. He begins photographing the child with a digital camera. (laughs) After he returns the toddler to a foster home, Ski goes online. He's the kingpin of the Love Zone, the world's largest child abuse network. Undercover agents from Task Force Argos are urgently searching for clues to find Ski, and they're getting closer. Argos boss, John Rouse. We knew that he was a hands-on abuser, and we had an Australian administering a child sex offender network. You couldn't raise too many more red flags to our unit than that. We had to stop this and we had to bring the network down. Scheme must be stopped. The love zone needs to fall. And the clock is ticking. I'm Akim Dev. This is The Children in the Pictures. Episode 3, The Antisocial Network. Inside the offices of Task Force Argos in Brisbane, Paul Griffith sits in front of a giant high-definition monitor. The world's foremost victim identification specialist is doing what he's done for more than two decades, minutely inspecting the ghastly images of children being abused, looking for almost imperceptible clues that might help solve this puzzle. Yeah, I I think... The jigsaw puzzle is quite a good analogy, to be honest, because you're basically doing a jigsaw puzzle and you haven't got the lid of the box. Uh, You're not actually sure if you've got all of the pieces and you're not even sure if all the pieces exist. It's 2014. Argos undercover agents are deep inside one of the world's biggest dark web child abuse networks. They now have access to some, but not all, of the network's message boards. They have to cautiously work their way through the vast collection of images and videos stored on the site and track thousands of lines of communications between members. Paul Griffiths is now 100% sure that several figures inside the love zone, including Ski, are actively abusing children. Even though he's searching through a mountain of data 
He's clear about what he wants to find. Could we identify the children? Could we identify who was sharing it? Could we get an, an idea of how the site was structured, how it was being shared, who was doing what on the site? It's five years later, and I'm at Argos, watching Paul work. It's pretty obvious that not everyone's cut out for this type of investigation. Paul reminds me of a neighbour I had growing up who was from Yorkshire. An unassuming, ordinary bloke. The type of guy who'd say, all right, and give you a wink while he's putting out the bins. But the more time I spend at Argos headquarters watching him in action, the more I'm learning there's so much more to him than that. Argos boss John Rouse knows what I'm talking about. He started working with Paul over a decade ago, and they've since become close mates. He's methodical. He thinks outside traditional boundaries. He has a photographic memory. I'm very proud to call him a friend, and I'm very proud to have him as part of our team. I I don't know how many children are in a better place now because of the work he's done. At the start of yet another day observing the team and work around the clock, I run into Paul coming into the office. I remember one time we were meeting at Argos and um, I said, oh, yeah, did you catch an Uber here? Not noticing that you were in your full motorcycle gear and you were like, Dev, you'd make an amazing detective. <laughs> what makes a good detective? Well, I think you've got to have a question in mind, obviously. Uh, not take anything at face value. A lot of other guys, and they tend to be the kind that you see in the TV dramas, are the ones who just do everything off the cuff and, you know, worry about the consequences later. I think, generally speaking, if you were looking for the better detectives in the real world, they're more towards the ones who are very methodical and make the notes, but, of course, they're not sexy when it comes to putting them on the TV. No comment on the sexy factor. But Paul's got that thing you want all detectives in cop shows to have, an eagle-eyed stare. And he's been staring down online crime since the internet was just starting out. Now 20 years on, the scale of this crime has exploded, but his focus hasn't changed. Paul will do whatever it takes to rescue the children in the pictures, forensically, methodically, poring over literally thousands upon thousands of the most horrendous images looking for clues, searching for the identity of the victims. And in 2014, it's Ski's victims he's looking for. I got to seven different victims. So seven different kids that he's offended against. They were all preschool age. There's boys in there as well as girls. For Argos, this is code red. Ski must be stopped before more irreparable damage is done to vulnerable children. And at the same time, he sits atop of a pyramid, a global criminal network whose leadership group come from around the world. Each has their specific roles, from vetting membership to recruitment, tech support, security, to even creating bespoke made-to-order content that's only available to the elite on the site. Below them are tens of thousands wanting to join the inner circle, willing, if necessary, to prove their allegiance by providing fresh images of abused kids. It's an appalling, almost unbelievable, anti-social network 
with Ski presiding over it all. And as the team goes deeper into the love zone, they become aware of other key players on the site who are also active abusers. Argos calls them contact offenders. It's 2019. I'm at Argos, looking through a clone of the Love Zone forums under the supervision of Paul. I realise that it isn't just a place to view and share child exploitation material. It's like the most depraved kind of online school for wannabe predators. There's a lot of discussion about how to attract children, whether it be to groom them online or to physically persuade them to perform uh, sex acts. There's also a lot of activity about and how to hide that. So what's the best way to go undetected? What's the best way to actually prevent law enforcement finding out what you've been doing? What's the best way to prevent other family members finding out about what you're doing? And again, effectively, the internet can become a real learning resource for sex offenders there because it gives them the opportunity to share their own knowledge and their own experiences. Basically, a 101 course on how to be a successful sex offender. Everything you need to know about exchanging material and avoiding arrest. And the engineer in charge of this so-called education is a chap who calls himself Io. That's Io, spelt I-O-H. Short for, I'm only human. TLZ's tech expert. We've used an AI voice to read his posts. I have updated the encryption script and it is there for all members to use when uploading new material. It is essential you follow all instructions to the letter. Stay safe. IO's the technical brains that keeps the love zone up and running and safe from prying eyes. Except the eyes of Libor Yock, the undercover Argos agent, now masquerading as a VIP on the board. It was apparent that there was pretty rigid structure in there, but Io was right up there. Like He was behind a lot of the software modifications. How, how would you rate them technically? That's my producer, Simon Nasht. You'll hear him asking questions from time to time. Io in particular, quite high. He didn't post, or he didn't post material, and he didn't post anything about the interest everyone had. Just posting about what he's doing to the board, how he's fixing these, upgrading these. So he was pretty much just keeping people abreast of where the technical side is going and so on. Io isn't a producer. He isn't actively abusing children. But he's not just some misguided computer nerd either. Io's receiving child abuse material from producers who want access to the most hidden parts of the love zone. And he's using his power to get his hands on the most exclusive kind of images. Often these are known as proof pics. Producers create child exploitation material and brand it with their own name to prove it's an original piece of work. I've been told about a proof pic made for the love zone that was personally addressed to Io. A little girl is said to be holding a sign. She's no older than six. This was the first image in a series where she ends up being violently abused. Paul Griffith says proof pics are particularly traumatic for victim survivors. 
it's a very degrading act, I'm sure, for the child, especially a child who's old enough to read and old enough to understand what's happening in the image. I'm sure they work out quite quickly, especially when the same child is used over and over again to produce proof pics for a number of different individuals. As I trawl through the clone of the site, I notice a few other prominent characters on the board. One catches my attention, his weird name and a super aggressive style of communicating. Craft Ebbing. That girl is clearly a teenager, at least 14. What part of prepubescent hardcore don't you understand? I'm bumping you down a rank until you get it. Craft Ebbing. Craft Ebbing is everywhere on the site. He's chatty and showy, and he's got that weird name. And I do what everyone else does. I run that name through Google. It turns out that Richard von Kraft Ebbing was a 19th century German psychiatrist that specialised in sexual behaviour. So thanks to him, we've got terms like sadist and masochist. Kraft Ebbing was one of the first to write a detailed study on sexual crimes against children. And reading the new Kraft Ebbing's posts, it really does seem like this guy has an intellectual or academic interest in harming children. He definitely sees himself as the librarian of the group, making sure he knows and catalogues all the horrific material that's been traded for decades. John Rouse has seen this kind of behaviour before. After raids on offenders' properties, Argos often come across hard drives with an eerily familiar organising system. When you have a look at the collections that these child sex offenders have, you've got this interesting insight into the way their brains think and some of them have just got a hard drive full of images, everything, you know, everything from bestiality, uh, adult pornography, child exploitation material, they've got everything. But then you come across the the meticulous collectors who've got the images categorised by series by the child uh, and those people are consistently looking for missing components of their series, they're, they're like stamp collectors. But Kraft takes this to the next level. He's the quality controller for material coming into the site. He wants the entire Love Zone universe to be categorised in perfect order. It doesn't exactly endear him to the other members. Once again, this is a preteen forum. Jailbait does not count, because this is not a jailbait forum. It is mandatory to establish a filter on all the assholes, morons, selfish, one-day newbies who are ruining TLZ with their lack of common sense and respect to the rules and already established community. This is a child love board. In 2013, Kraft, just like Io, is a part of the Love Zone ruling elite. And just like Io, while he's not making films or photographs, he's encouraging the production of new material. And this made-to-order stuff is often only available in the one area of the site Argos investigators don't have access to. A club within a club. The producer's lounge. It's the holy grail of the love zone. John Rouse and his investigators in Queensland are laser-focused on just trying to find the producer's lounge because it's where the abuse is happening in real time. There's a constant stream of new material being uploaded there. And we focus all of our effort on trying to find 
the newest material because those children are at risk right now. And inevitably, it has led us overseas. The majority of our child victim rescue happens outside of the borders of Queensland. We know that that material is new because of the internet connectivity we've got with Interpol. We have access to databases that tell us what's new and what's not, or what's been seen before and what hasn't been seen before. At Interpol, Adele Desir is uploading new images and videos unearthed from international investigations to share with victim ID specialists around the world. It gives Adele a front row seat to how producer forums incentivize the creation of even more disturbing material. In general, to be part of a producer lounge or producer group, you have to prove that yourself have uh, current access to a child by um, posting certain pictures with certain um, requests that are asked to you by the moderators or the admin of this group. You have to prove that you're not just branding material as yours, but that you are actually a producer. And it's a way also for them to protect themselves because um, they probably have a lot to lose by sharing this material. They could get caught. But only sharing it with other producers, I mean, you share it with people that have as much to lose as yourself. Is it a competitive arena? Do they compete with each other? Do they compete with each other? In some producer groups, you have levels. So the more you post, the more level you climb and the more access you have to new material. So the competition might exist in that sense. I suppose some might feel, you know, this need um, to post the most material, the most abusive, but I'm not really in their mind. I don't know that. Um, you, you don't want to go into their minds? You don't, you don't imagine to yourself or speculate, like, what kind of people are they, what's running through their heads? Not at all, no. Um, it's just impossible, honestly, for me to fathom, you know. I can understand many things, uh, many deviance, many psychological aspect maybe of people, but for me it's impossible to understand how you would want to do that to a child. I, I just don't comprehend it at all. Um, but I'm not a psychologist. I mean, that is not my job. I want to try to comprehend this. It's 2019 and my search has taken me to Washington DC, where I'm about to speak to a psychologist whose whole job is to analyze child sex offenders. Your destination is US Marshals Headquarters, South Clark Street. Continue on Richmond Highway. I'm heading to the US Marshals Service, the oldest of all federal law enforcement agencies established by George Washington. Okay, so if we could just start with um, your name, uh, who you work for and where you're based. Dr. Michael Burke, Chief Psychologist of the United States Marshal Service, Chief of the Behavioral Analysis Unit, Arlington, Virginia. Dr. Michael Burke has a career that would make you shudder. He spent two decades treating and interviewing thousands of perpetrators. Very few have explored the mind of the predator like he has. I think it's fair to say that the individuals who view this material are, are immersed in a world that feeds their deviance, that reinforces their deviance, that allows them to become numb to certain uh, the, the moral aspects to what they're doing so that their, their drives begin to, to manifest, to grow, to, to expand. And in, in their case, that habituation leads to an increasing 
uh, amount of um, depraved exploration, if you will. Before I started investigating all of this, it was easy to think of these perpetrators as depraved, shadowy figures. I had zero desire to know what was going on in their minds. But Dr. Burke's whole mission has been to do just that, to better understand sex offenders in order to stop them. There were three different types of sex offenders in front of me. One was a pedophile. One was a someone who's sexually interested in children, and that was the motivating pathway. With that individual, I say, what you did with that child might have affected her for the rest of her life. There might be some argument, well, you know, she laughed at the time or she came back the next day, but ultimately we were able to work through that and they might hang their head or they might just look and say, you know what, I I see what you're saying and, and what I did was monstrous. What I did was unacceptable and, and I feel horrible about that. I, I was being selfish. But for the second type of offender, the psychopath, well, they're never going to do remorse. For them, that just doesn't register. Psychopathy is a completely different motivational pathway. These men look at children as a lion looks at a weak gazelle. So a psychopath who doesn't have that empathic ability and that conscious remorse said, oh, well. And I said, why did you drop her off on the side of the highway? He said, where did you want me to drop her? This is a psychopathic mindset. It's hard to believe that it can get any worse than that. But it can. There's that one offender who seems to go beyond the textbook descriptions. And it's a memory Michael Burke just can't shake. The worst, if we want to use terms like evil or monstrous, the third is an individual when I said, what you did to that child might have affected him for the rest of his life. He said, when I chose my victims, I didn't choose the thin one or the blonde or the tall. I choose the happiest on the playground. I chose the one who was laughing the most, the friendliest, the most innocent. His words, I wanted to destroy her soul. When I hear this, I can barely speak. And the more I hear from Dr. Burke, the more I realize we're kidding ourselves if we think that someone sharing sexual images of children isn't just as capable of hands-on offending. After a career spent analyzing offenders, Dr. Burke says all that's missing is the opportunity. There is no doubt in my mind that the individuals arrested for viewing downloading, receiving, possessing, distributing child abuse images, and those who are arrested for committing a so-called hands-on act of abuse against a child are in many cases the same person. These are adjunctive behaviors. They're motivated by precisely the same motivational pathway, which is sexual interest in children. Think about that for a moment. The Love Zone has 45,000 members. Other networks have since been found with membership in the millions. So if we start to understand that every one of those consumers is also a potential hands-on offender, it's chilling. Even worse, they can convince themselves that they're not doing anything wrong. So they have 
many, many ways of rationalizing their behavior. And uh, they sort of dismiss the notion that what they're doing could be irreparably harming this child because it's, it's just too much psychologically to accept for many of these individuals. They, they, they have to find a way to rationalize it because the alternative is that they are truly monstrous, that what they're doing is evil. So they find clever ways to distort reality so that they don't have to feel pronounced shame and guilt. I'm back in the Argos team office in downtown Brisbane. You know, the one with the salmon wallpaper, green carpet, 80s drab. On the wall behind me, there's something interesting. The Task Force Argos insignia. The scorpion was chosen because it's a hunter of spiders. Uh, Child sex offenders are referred to as rock spiders. Argos boss John Rouse is pointing out a mean-looking scorpion logo that peers down over the office. And rock spiders live under rocks. Hence, our motto is leave no stone unturned. And of course, the task force takes its name Argos from the Greek myth of the 100-eyed giant. It might sound like a mixed metaphor, but a 100-eyed giant slash scorpion sounds like the perfect symbol for this unit. From dawn to dusk, they stare at screens, watching material that has started to haunt me every night as I try and sleep. What keeps playing in my mind is this simple fact. The ratio of perpetrator to investigator is astronomically in favour of the bad guys getting away with it. But Argos definitely punch above their weight. It's 2014. The team is turning its attention to Ski, the top dog of the love zone. They're facing a formidable opponent. Not only is Ski running this vast global network... He's also a very careful, prolific, hands-on abuser. He never reveals his face and never says a word. The clues are threadbare. There's the proof pick made for Ski, calling him Aussie, so he's Australian. And in the material he shared online, you can see a freckle visible on the ring finger of his right hand. You need luck in this game. Something the offender overlooks buried in some long-forgotten post, or maybe a blunder by somebody else in the network that leads back to the major suspect. Victim ID head Paul Griffiths is collaborating with colleagues around the world. They've joined the hunt while Ski continues to post new and explicit child abuse material featuring very young children. He certainly gives you added impetus to know that potentially there's another victim that wasn't previously known about out there and that potentially you or one of your colleagues may well have the clue that helps you to identify where that child is. One night, Paul gets a message from Mads, his mate in the Danish National Police. Mads had obtained seized hard drives from a raid on a former high-level member of the Love Zone. On one of those drives, there's a tiny link back to Skeet. So I'm sitting at home minding my own business one evening and um, Mads over in Denmark, I think, sent me a text message, actually, and just said, oh, Ski's Australian, right? And I said, yeah. And I said, have you got his mobile phone number or something? 
Mads came back to me and said, no, but I've got his email address and his password. And I said, all oh, right, okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Now, Ski's no fool. The email isn't a direct link to him. It's attached to a fake Facebook account. The fake Facebook profile was actually for a teenage boy. The boy didn't exist and was supposedly in Adelaide. And this boy had two friends. Both of them were teenage girls and went to a school in South Adelaide. And you've suddenly gone from Ski is probably somewhere in Australia to Ski is probably somewhere in South Adelaide. The haystack just got a lot smaller. Paul now has a pretty good idea that Ski is hiding in Adelaide, a city of 1.3 million. Reducing that number to something more manageable would take a brilliant bit of deductive thinking. So, reading through his post one day, I just happened to notice he uses the word hires as a greeting. And I just thought, I've never ever seen anyone use hires with an S on the end as a greeting. Hires. H-I-Y-A-S. I'm going to Google that and see if it's a common greeting. So I tried to do some sort of narrowing down, some uh, Boolean searches on Google to try and narrow down looking for hires as a greeting on forums talking about Adelaide. And when we narrowed it down to that level and started looking for people using hires as a greeting on some discussion forums on the internet, and then I found him on a four-wheel drive forum, uh, dug around on the four-wheel drive forum, and of course they were all so proud on there of their vehicles that they had to post photographs of them. It was almost surreal, in fact. I looked at it, I thought, that's got to be him. Ski has made a fatal mistake. He's left a trail that leads from the dark web to links in the open internet. Ski has posted an image of his vehicle and the registration plate is in plain sight. Gave the red gel to South Australia. They came back with the same name as this bloke and it was Shannon McCool. He was the only person called Shannon McCool that I could find in the world. (laughs) Ski is real. He has a car, a number plate and the monster has a name. It's Shannon McCool. There was like a moment when I thought, nah, it can't be that easy. Paul now knows where he lives and where he works. And looked at where he worked and realised that he worked in childcare. And that was when I thought, ah, right, yeah, that's why we've got so many different victims for the one guy, because he's got ready access to children through work. And... um, I went and had a chat with John and I said, I think I found him. That then escalated, shall we say, I guess fairly rapidly. There's not another moment to lose. Shannon McCall is about to get a knock on his door. Next time on The Children in the Pictures, the never-before-heard footage of Ski's takedown. I've explained I'm a police officer. I'm saying I've stated that I'm investigating the child pornography matter. Anything you do say may be given in evidence. And Task Force Argos are presented with an extraordinary opportunity to go deeper than ever before. I just wanted to make sure that that particular board did not 
surface again. So to achieve that, we really had to take the head off the snake. This podcast is dedicated to all victims and survivors of sexual crimes against children and those that stand against the sexual exploitation of children. If you know a child in immediate danger, please contact police. Call triple zero. For non-urgent police assistance, contact 131 4. If you need immediate support, contact the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. For more information and help, go to childreninthepictures.org or head over to the ACE site, the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation, acce.gov.au. This podcast is a listener production made by the Factual Original Podcast team. Head of Factual and Drama for Listener Original Podcasts is Jennifer Goggin. Co-produced in collaboration with DNX Media. Produced and reported by me, Akim Dev, and Simon Nasht. Sound design, composition, and audio production by Darcy Thompson. Production assistance and theme composition by Matthew Dwyer. Additional audio production by Michael Letho. Our series producer is Romy Scher. Fact check by Bonnie Lavelle. Factual original podcast executive producers are Belinda Lopez and Emma Lancaster. Queensland police were consulted for this production. Thanks to Argos and the other global child protection agencies who shared their stories with us. Special thanks to Dr. Asa Kasbaum and Dr. Jacqueline Goldstein for their guidance and expertise. And if you're concerned about your own thoughts and feelings or behaviours towards children, there is support. Stop It Now is an anonymous Australian helpline that aims to support adults who have sexual thoughts about children to prevent offending. The helpline is also for parents, professionals, family and community members who come across child sexual abuse. If you're worried about an adult or young person's sexual behaviour offline or online, you can call the anonymous helpline on 1-800-01-1800 or use a live chat or secure messaging service. To find out more, head to stopitnow.org.au.